0: Log Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's Quintessential Listening, Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the program. I am Michael Anthony Ingram, and my special guest tonight is poet Susanna H. Case. Susanna, are you with me?
1: Yes, hi. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, I'm glad you're here, too. Let me ask you a question, the very first question that I always ask. What is poetry?
1: Okay, let me tell you a little story, because I know that that's what you always ask. In 1964, in 1964, an obscenity case went to the Supreme Court and the question arose what is what is pornography. And Justice Potter Stewart of the Supreme Court said, "I know it when I see it." And I think the same holds true in a way for poetry. We know it's not prose. It's we know it's a text that screams to be read out loud. And, of course, there are technical aspects to what is a poem. We look at line. We look at rhythm. We look at economy of language. I'm sure everyone you've had on the show who's a poet has said that. But, basically, since some poems are, are written in prose form, prose forms are essentially paragraphs, you make the determination. Is it a poem nice or answer. is it not a poem? Oh,
0: very nice answer. Very nice answer. Well, Speaking of that, why is it important? Why is poetry important?
1: It's not as important as food and health care. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we need those things first, but it aims for fundamental truths about the world. We, We need to, I believe, we need to transform language so that we can better understand what we see and what we feel. I think some of the, for me, some of the most interesting poetry is not so much academic poetry or abstract poetry, but accessible poetry that speaks to what is happening in the world. Yeah,
0: I like that. I, I, well, as you, as you. I can. <laughs>
1: yes, go ahead. <laughs>
0: Let me, oh, okay. I'm Let glad you're here, Susanna. I'm glad I'm glad to be here, <laughs> As to you, be here too. <laughs> <laughs> As you think about your body of work, your entire body of work, what are some of the predominant themes?
1: Well, in the recent book, a predominant theme is violence. Usually gender based, but not necessarily someone murders another person or beats up another person, although there are, there are a number of poems about killings in the book and crimes. But also threaded through this book are the smaller ways in which we dehumanize one another that lead to a, a violence of the self. Let me let me well, give you an example. Yes. Okay. Let yes, me read like. a poem yes. that I think speaks to both the way in which poetry addresses the world and also addresses a kind of violence which isn't necessarily um, the the killing of someone or the hitting of someone. This is a poem called Herds. H-E-R-D-S, and it is a poem written in response to the refugee crisis, or a refugee crisis, since there are many. So let me read this. Herds. The men are unloading goats from a boat onto the sandy beach of Paliocera. A few goats escape, run wild through the port, only to be surrounded, tied up, and carted by wheelbarrow into town, while a large pelican sits on the beach wall watching. This happens often, both before and after the refugees arrive, half dead, from across the Mediterranean, Somali, Sudanese, Egyptian, Syrian. They've mistaken the island for Italy. Herded into a gym, police paint registration numbers on their arms as they sleep. Names are ignored. We are human. We have names, they complain. There is so little left in some parts of the world. Even the goats have names. Thank you.
2: Wow. That was very powerful.
1: Thank you. And
0: very timely, given what is happening in the world yeah, so much is happening in the world, Susanna. I know what
1: I you know yeah what
0: do you what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern day society?
1: The poet has many roles roles, but basically, what the poet is looking for is the truth in in whatever he or she is writing about. The kernel of that, I believe. Um,
2: Look,
0: looking for the truth. What does that mean?
1: It means looking for what's real and telling people about it. Thing. I'll give you another example. Yeah. Uh, there are I there like are that. two there are two poems in this book about school shootings, which. Ironically, in the middle of this pandemic, we don't have them because no one is in school. It will be interesting to see what happens as people begin to return. So this is an example. This is one of the poems. It's called School Shooting, and it's based on one of the shootings that happened within the past few years. Italy, Texas. So named because a guy once took a vacation overseas and came back impressed, is filled with domes that look like giant peeled half grapefruits. You can put them anywhere, next to a power plant if you want to. Today, a teenager shot another teenager, but we can't do anything about that, all the guns. Italy is filled with domes of polyester and PVC, reinforced with concrete, which means no tornadoes or earthquakes or firestorms can destroy them. You can't even shoot a bullet through them. They will last a century with rebar centuries. The thing is, they're ugly. Not at all like Brunelleschi's opulent Duomo in Florence, in the real Italy, though Michelangelo compared it to a cricket cage. Ugly grapefruit halves. In those domes, you can't use propane or natural gas, which can leak and accumulate, maybe even kill you. Still, not as ugly as going to a school to shoot a young girl. Thank you.
0: When you write, how does a poem begin for you with an idea, a form, or an image?
1: Often an event or a line, I want to build the poem around that somehow gets implanted in my head because of something I read or something I'm thinking about or something I've dreamt about. Or something I see. So it depends, but not usually an image. I have to make the images.
0: Okay. Well, look, let's let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. All right? Okay. Yep. All right.
1: There were a number of crime and murder poems in the book. And so I should say that the middle section of the book is based upon the crime scene dioramas of a woman named Frances Glessner Lee and her life. She was a woman of the early 20th century of a certain class, which meant she basically stayed home, was not educated, did not go to college. Stayed home and did what were then regarded as female typical activities sewing, crocheting. She built doll houses. Her brother was sent to Harvard. She became friendly with a friend of her brother's who was at Harvard Medical School, and through him, she became interested in forensics. And after she became interested in forensics, she began to build these dollhouses, which were not what we think of usually as sweet little dollhouses, but they were miniature crime scenes with dead bodies in them. And they fascinated me. They were not all uh, dead bodies of women, but most were. And these fascinated me. And I want to read... A prose poem, as we talked about prose poems earlier a little bit, about her life. Uh There are a number of prose poems in here about her life. And then a regularly um, lineated poem based on one of the dollhouses. So this is the prose poem based on her life, of which there are several. A perfectly good hobby for middle-aged society ladies making handcrafted miniatures, a perfectly good profession for men, detecting and police work. Glesner Lee breaks down that gender division with depictions of domestic violence in feminized spaces, training detectives how to analyze scenes of violent crimes. A forensic role model, she becomes an honorary police captain. Because she wears all black, her family nicknames her Tarantula. Now that, thank you, now that intrigued me because the idea of members of a family nicknaming someone they cared about Tarantula seriously was to me very odd. And her life was very odd and fairly unhappy. This is an example of one of the poems based on one of her dollhouses. The dollhouse is called Two-Story Porch and it depicts a a, a wood-frame house with two stories, two porches in which laundry is being hung out to dry, but in the street in front of the house is a body lying there. And the poem is called Small Caliber. Where are you going with a 22 in your hand, showing off your Second Amendment, shooting off your mouth, shooting her struck dumb in the chest, struck dumb boy. He struck her shooting upward from the street, anonymous shot, she on a chair, still in her apron and hairnet. Hanging the weekly wash on the two-story porch, body falling Sunday morning, husband drunk and cantankerous, he could have done it loose with his hands. he too owns a 22 and a swagger. Thank you
0: You know all great writers and performers, and I include you in that number
2: <laughs> have Thank great you.
0: writing. In- have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes? Your writing influences.
1: Well, I'm a big fan of Sharon Olds. I love her work for her willingness to write about the body, which I often write about. I also have very much um, appreciated the work of Kim Adonisio for her willingness to write about love and all its pockmarks. Each of them has a very distinctive voice and is, is, not, um, is not fearful, does not turn away. And I like to think that I don't turn away either.
0: That you don't turn away. Go into that just a little bit more. That you don't turn away from what? From from life, from experiences, from, what?
1: from experience, from some of the horrifying elements of experience. Um, let me. I'll read you one. I'll read you another one to give you an All example. Right. This one was inspired by an incident at work at the university where I teach, where one of my fellow faculty members committed suicide at the campus. And it's called, he pried open the classroom window and stepped out. My students said, There's a body down there. No jump above the fourth floor is survivable, said, untreated depression, said, job trouble, said, explain what makes a man do that, said, we should postpone the test. The police covered the body with a tarp. I fled tremoring. At the hospital, Drug blotto me please, I remembered to say please, until I no longer see blood on the street. The emergency shrink said, I believe you abuse pills need an excuse for relief. The words I heard lit up a marquee above the doctor's face, a face spotted and lumpy like a potato. I was together enough to say, to, to know he said no. Thank you.
0: Does writing? I'm really fascinated by your work. I really, really am.
1: Thank
0: you. I view it as being different. It's not roses are <laughs> red violets are blue. Well, no. anything but. <laughs> so as you think about writing these poems, does writing energize or exhaust you? Both. <laughs> Both. okay uh, uh, <laughs> you know it, it it's
1: depleting it's depleting but it's also something that makes me feel alive at the same time so um yes back and forth between between the two definitely all right I'll, well, I'll give you an you example
2: i think... oh, like that please please I'll,
1: I'll give I'm you an example oh, huh. I'll give you an example of another one that was inspired by personal experience and uh, Mm -hmm. trauma. And this is one called Walking Home. The girl walking home alone doesn't know what to do about the stranger who calls her name. He claims he has a gun. His knowing her name is a gun. He blocks her way. Rail track chain-league fence, no parking sign. It's like that test she had in school yesterday, having to choose which animal doesn't belong. She guessed it was the cow. This girl knows nothing of farms. On her left, the empty tennis club. In front, the man who snarls, he will kill her. Let me see the gun in her piccolo voice. A train rushes by. If she were in it, her life would be different. The world is full of noise, weeds, cigarette butts, rusted car, locked shed. She runs. She doesn't know if he can keep up. He's too old to catch her. He screams again, I'll kill you. She doesn't look back. I based that poem on uh, an incident that happened when I was in the, in the single digits, a very young girl walking home. Yes. The way uh, I grew up in Queens in New York City, and the way the house was uh, that I grew up in was located, you had to walk through this very fairly deserted area where there was a railroad track on one side and this tennis club, which we would never have uh, taken us (laughs) on the Mm -hmm. other side. And I remember the incident because this man who is in the poem knew my name. And therefore, I thought a friend of the family, which maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. I don't know who he was. But I do remember... Running, and I remember, although it's not in the poem, and even though I was a very young child, I knew that he was a pedophile. I don't know how I knew, but I knew. And I remember thinking, if he shoots me, where, what part of me is the gun likely to hit, and am I going to die? And yet the poem ends on a very positive note. She doesn't look right. back. I think you move forward from
0: yes. what happened. Yes, yes, Again, your, your work is just amazing, amazing. As I just think about <laughs> well, this, oh, here's the question: okay. What was an early ex- <laughs> What was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power?
1: Well, when I was a kid, uh, my I, I, I wrote stories and I wrote poems, kid poems, and it wasn't an odd thing to do in my household. My father was uh, an English teacher. He taught English to junior high school kids in Brooklyn, but he had also, before he became a teacher, he had tried his hand at writing, and one of the things he wrote were radio plays for which were translated into Italian for Italian immigrants. We're not Italian, but for some reason, the station thought that his work would appeal to that group of of people, so they were translated. And so he did that, tried to write other plays which were not successful. So uh, writing was a normal thing. It wasn't like, what? Do you want to be a writer? Are you crazy? And <laughs> he, at one point, I showed him something I had written. I don't even remember exactly what I showed him, uh, and I'm sure it was terrible. But he gave me, he bought it from me for $100, which was a lot of money for a kid.
0: <laughs> But yes.
1: the, lesson, the lesson, and and it's not like he was rich. He was an English teacher in a junior high school. But the lesson was, this is a valid thing to do.
0: Do you know what?
1: Not, 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 not that. Not that if one gets a hundred dollars.
0: <laughs> Or a poem <laughs> in the real world. <laughs> U- usually. <laughs> that is true. But do that you has know to be what? be learned later. <laughs> you have a caller. You have a okay. caller. All right. This person's area code is 903. The first three numbers are 787. You're on the air. Good evening.
2: Good evening. How are y'all? Hi.
0: Oh, quite well, quite well. Do uh, so you have a question for Susanna?
2: Uh, yes, uh, I do. My name is Little Gary. I'm from Texas. Uh, I've been uh, writing for just a, a year now. Uh, once my kids got grown, and uh, been doing pretty good and enjoying it. I was just wondering, um, whenever you was started to get published and stuff like that, uh, did uh how how did that go and stuff? I've noticed that uh, as far as when you tell people you got uh, poetry, it might be something that that they didn't. Uh, you know, I don't know, but I just Wondered, it was my uh, question, I think y'all Was having this radio show and I thought Heck, I'll call in there <laughs> Well,
1: you have to Send your stuff out And then yes, a lot yes, of ma'am. it You have to send your You have to submit your stuff to uh, Magazines, poetry Magazines, are, are you writing Poems? Hello? Oh,
2: yes oh, yes, 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 ma'am, yes, ma'am uh, Okay, it, it so is, uh, in, 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 in a year, I just had a, a like 2,000-something followers in a year and, and won about 200-something trophies with my stuff and uh, never dreamed to, to, to do it, and I'm enjoying it. Um, And I just, uh, I don't know, I just thought about it, if I could turn that into something, you know, and, and get my message out there and, and you know, and inspire. And I read your little bio on the thing, and, and I just thought, well, you were somebody that was really cool, you know.
1: <laughs> Thank so.
2: you. Well,
1: you know, you have to send yeah. your stuff to poetry journals, and that's, That's how you get it published. And when you've sent enough stuff to poetry journals, then the next step is to look for a publisher for a collection, either a smaller collection, a chapbook collection, which is usually uh, 40 pages or less, or a full-length collection, which is uh, a a little bit bigger. But the the start is with magazines, literary journals.
2: Uh, yes madam I've been in my local newspaper and one across seas okay. about uh my, my writing and, and I see what you're saying and, and I appreciate it advice.
1: Okay, and well send them more. There's a magazine called Poets and Writers and they come out every two months. And you can look on the internet for it too. They have a classified section. They have calls for poems on various subjects or or general calls for poems, and how to submit them. And you can just go down the list and see which ones have work that you think is similar to yours maybe or uh, sounds like a place that might be interested in your work and start sending it out.
2: Awesome. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. I haven't found anything similar to mine. I just started rhyming and stuff and – uh but it's uh just different. But yes ma'am, absolutely. And I that's awesome. I'm so glad I called in this show. Uh, I think uh, by your bio, you're an awesome lady and Thank uh confident <laughs> in life. So you know, I our, appreciate uh, you taking a minute to talk to me. Uh an, little girl another, another
1: thing you can, hello, are you still there?
2: Oh yes what? ma'am. I have okay. a cell phone uh, time um, six minutes.
1: Okay. Another thing you can do, I don't know where you are in Texas, but you might want to find other People interested in poetry in the community where you are, and form a group where you can share your work and oh, offer yes, feedback.
2: I do some uh, stand-up comedy, and I've been adding them in there with it because they're real rhymy and funny, and my comedy mm-hmm. comes out in it. And uh, it's been really neat. I've been trying to to do that. I love reading them in front of people and stuff, as I'm sure you do. And mm-hmm. uh, so yes, ma'am, yeah, absolutely. I totally understand what you're saying. Okay. All right. Good. Well,
0: thank you, thank you, caller. Thank you. Asked great questions. Uh-huh. I'm so glad you called in. I'm so glad you called in. Man,
2: I twice as glad that you're glad. Y'all be safe. <laughs> All right. <laughs> right on.
0: Well, thank you, and have a great evening, sir.
2: Oh, I will. I'm gonna have two of them. Y'all too, man. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye. All right. <laughs> All right. Bye.
0: Let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. You're back. Again, I'm Michael Anthony Ingram. We're here with Susanna H. Case. The call-in number. We had a caller. The number is 646-787-1631. Susanna, please share another poem.
1: Okay. You you know, you asked uh, what themes were, were threaded through the book and and my work in general. And I live in New York City, and New York City is often a character in my So I'm going to read you this one. I live on the East River, and this title of this is The East River Isn't Romantic Anymore, which are actually lyrics from a popular song, Greenpoint, which is a neighborhood in Brooklyn, a song by Prurient, whose real name is Dominic Therneau. So this is The East River Isn't Romantic Anymore. Sixteen miles of saltwater estuary that can't make up its mind in which direction to nudge the tugboats extend south from the arched bridge at Hellgate. Once a mass of ice got stuck, and for a few days commuters could cross on foot between Brooklyn and Manhattan, They've cleaned up the water from when human waste was dumped, when Harry Houdini performed his first wooden crate escape with shackles and straps. Swimmers practice their strokes from Brooklyn Bridge Park to Manhattan, where the current runs fast. Every year, some jumper drowns. It's where the suicides go are the lyrics of the rock song, Like the father of a man I once loved who locked up his dress shop and, arm dangling from the car window, smoked his last Marlboro as he drove down Montgomery Street, never breaking. The city's machinery fished out the car, bleeding water, and him, a man who no longer needed to make up his mind. Thank you.
0: Do you think that you were meant to be a poet?
1: I can't answer that. That's, um, that's a gotcha question. Because for, my, okay. my, uh, very, uh, for a very long time, I, <laughs> <laughs> well, for a very long time, for a period of time, I did not write poems. I, I wrote them when I was younger, and then I stopped and became a rather conventional academic and wrote a lot of academic prose, which when I look at now, it quite frankly seems uh, very stiff compared to what I write now. And I look at it and I say, "What was i what was I trying to say?" So at some point, I realized that even though the audience for poetry is small, It's no smaller than the audience I had as an academic, and I decided I was going to write what I wanted to write. And so I went and took classes and studied under poets and figured out how to do it in a better way than I had been doing it earlier.
0: All right, all right, all right. You know, when people write, when they write prolifically, all poets have several words that come up over and over again, words or phrases, or sentences that they just can't help but use in their work. What are three of your absolute favorite words to use?
1: Oh, probably. I, you know, if I I did one of those. There's a. I don't remember the name of it, but there's software on the net, and you can plug in the text of your book, and it makes a diagram which shows which words you use most frequently.
0: Oh, really? Wow. Yes,
1: and I don't actually remember what the words were. (laughs) I did plug in this book, and I don't remember what the words were, but I have a feeling some of those little unimportant pronoun words come up more than anything else. I I can tell you words I try to avoid, although they're sometimes used in my poems. I try to avoid heart. I try to avoid stars. But they do show up. I mean, there are times when when I need to use them. I don't know that I have favorite words that I put into poems all the, the time. I sometimes like making up words. Mm -hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. I mean, not from scratch, but I'll take a noun and I'll I'll, I'll make it into a verb in a way that it's not normally used. But that doesn't mean that happens in every poem. That might happen once or twice in an entire book. I like unusual words.
0: All right, all right, all right. You know, they they say... (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I'm,
1: I'm looking at what's open on the desk, and I'm looking, and I see large-scale magma intrusion, and I like that. Mm. But, but that's not something I would ordinarily put into a poem. It just happens to be in the particular poem that's opposite the poem I read uh, right uh, when
0: we came back from the break. Share so. another poem. I want to hear another poem.
1: Okay. I'm going to read you a poem I'm very proud of because it it led to well, it became the title of my book, Dead Shark on the End Train, although it wasn't the first poem I wrote in the book, but it helped me center the work in the book. So this is Dead Shark on the End Train, the title poem for this book. Poor brown fish beached at Coney Island, then carried in someone's arms to the roller coaster, where another man thought it beautiful and tried to transport it home, only to abandon it on the subway. And you know how it is in New York City, Nothing surprises anyone. The car reeked of dead shark, and passengers took photos debating Instagram filters when the conductor asked everyone to leave and closed off that train. At the end of the line in Queens, a transit worker plastic bagged the body and normalized the car. I fled Queens when I grew up, like sharks that migrate freely, I traveled to survive. Didn't want to reach the end of my line in the same place I started out from, though I ended up just on the other side of the river. When someone on the number one had a heart attack and died, his corpse rode the loop from South Ferry to the Bronx and back to South Ferry twice. Like a man in his habitat, he seemed to be napping unlike the shark no one put a metro card under his fin cigarette in his jaws can of red bull by his side for the journey thank you
0: i think that's a perfect segue in terms of talking about your book congratulations
2: <laughs> thank congratulations
0: you. on winning the pinnacle award book award Thank you. Um, if you had to tell me about your book in a nutshell, and you've already talked about it probably more than you've wanted to, <laughs> tell me about your book. No, I can't I I can talk your, about
1: it forever.
2: <laughs> okay, all right.
0: <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> tell me, is your book available on Amazon?
1: It's on Amazon. It's available from the publisher. It's available from small book distribution. It's, it's available you know, pretty widely. You can uh, order it from a local bookstore. They will order it for you from uh, small press distribution books, or you could order it yourself directly.
0: Wow, very nice. If you had to convince a friend or colleague to read this book, what might you tell them?
1: I would say this is I would say read read this book because it's typical Susanna, and since it's my seventh book if if I'm talking to someone I know they know what the uh-huh. work has been like in the past the The difference with this new book, however, is that it's a darker book it's uh, i'm I'm sometimes known for a certain kind of humor or a certain kind of wry humor in my poems, even though I'm talking about very serious subjects. But there yes. aren't a whole lot of poems like that in this particular book. It, there, There is much more brutality in this book, I'd have to say. I, I, you know, I'd have to say, read it for that. Read it for the... The poems about the lives of others, read it for Uh the poems which are loosely based on me. Read it for Francis Glessner Lee. It's even got some reproductions in it, some photographs of the dollhouses that Francis Lee Glessner created. So it's got a lot of things in there for a lot of different people, Mm. depending on what one is interested in. I'd, I'd say, read it for the the two different voices. Read it for. Read it for. The poems in my speaking voice and the poems in my writing voice, and look for the places where they converge.
0: Well, did you know that that is one of the questions? What is the qualitative difference or the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice?
1: A friend of mine once told me that I want to be, I aspire to be a bad girl in my poems, but I'm not really one. So that my poetic voice is more of a rule breaker and naughtier than I actually am in
2: person.
1: Yeah. But I think there are certainly places in this book where those two voices converge. And I want to read an example. I, I, I'll read two examples, one in which they okay. very much converge and one in which there's less convergence so you can see the other, the, 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 the voice that may or may not really be me coming out. I'm going to first read the one in which I I believe both voices converge, and the, I use, the reaction I usually get to reading um, this poem is that, uh, well, you were brave to kind of say this, but we'll see. Two girls, one removed. I wrote this, by the way, after a childhood friend Died, and uh, we had no, we had not been close for a long time. But there are two poems in this book inspired by our friendship and later our growing apart. And at the end, when she was dying of cancer, she asked me to do certain things for her, like be the executor of her state, for example. And there was um, a feeling of responsibility to do those things, but there was also a kind of pulling away and not wanting to do those things. So I should probably read both poems in which I write about her. So let me start with this one. Two girls, one removed, and I'll read the other one a little later in the program. After I phone to say I'm concerned, you're wasting your life with deficient roam and adventure. You poo-poo me, I mind my own business, and we both grow teeth in our vaginas, dress our lust to meet men alive. You go the tight clothes and thigh-high boots route. I dye my hair red, wear fishnet hose. Lucky to be born later, we escape lobotomies, homes for wayward girls, electric shocks. We curl up on the couch to study adults for more clues on how to be temptress, bitch, witch. The race is on to turn men into pigs. You go for the married ones, those who might have gotten you drowned or burned quicker. I quiet down, firm up, figure out when to keep mouth and legs shut and when to open them. In the end, we carry blame, remain victims of our aspirations. We rue reaching a time when they hardly matter. Like the hundredth song in last year's top 100, anything we try is ignored. On the way to our waterloo, your cold coda wishes down like an impossible dagger. I think I should read the other one I wrote All right. for her. This is it's a little different. This is called Death Has Come In with a Line from Elliot. Angus Barbieri, Scotsman, holds the Guinness World Record for the longest liquid fast lasted over a year before eating a boiled egg and a slice of buttered toast. Three people fit into his old pants. Angus went on to live a happy life. Wife, kids kept off the weight. You are not going to have that egg. Cancer 2.0 has launched three weeks with only lemon ices and ice chips, your lump the size of a grapefruit, next to your colostomy bag from the last bout. The doctors have nothing more. Even the television you love so much has spent its capacity to distract. Last time you were in hospital, we argued about politics. Kavanaugh on the screen. I yelled a lot about gender and stalked out. I am not a nice person. I sit here thinking mostly of myself. My relief, the big C got you and not me. In the room, the women come and go. They jot on charts, no one talking of Michelangelo or time, except when the religious guy comes around. Burial plans, where, which dress, a sundress, a wig. How can I, a person full of words, not know what to say? You are always my best friend, you tell me, and try to smile. The truth is, we have not been close since high school. I want to touch you, but do not want to touch you. I am not a nice person. I cry, not out of empathy, repelled and scared. Your covers are pushed down and too much of you shows, and I don't say anything, and yet I put that shriveled flesh in this poem." The winter winds blow outside. The air is stifling. I pull off my scarf, my sweater, heap knits on a chair. I roll up and fold, unfold and roll out. My hospital pass. Thank you.
0: That was beautiful.
1: Thank you. Um, I uh, I, I said I was going to read one in which my... My uh, speaking voice and my poetry voice was, were less convergent. Uh-huh. So just to give you an example of that, this is called Stress Test. You feel like a multi-outlet power strip in a too small office, cords sprawled out in every direction Nothing on walls to look at but a galaxy of diplomas from all the right schools. You're wrapped half-naked in blue plasticized paper, a gown. It's not exactly a debutante moment. This is not how you'd like first to meet a handsome young man, the doctor. He's not looking at you anyway. You can hear your heart, its digitized sound, insistent. You wanted to say something nice, not nag on behalf of early disease or congenital curse. You think it would be pleasant to die of something else entirely, not anytime soon. On the screen, it looks like a bloated toad stretching his dewlap. You hope he's singing, Hey, honey, let's grab a steak and beer when we get out of here. Thank you.
0: You know, they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one must look to comedians, artists, and poets. What I'll do you say think emerges natu- <laughs> 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 What do you think emerges naturally from your work? What emerges from Susanna H. Case in her work?
1: What emerges? I'm not sure what you mean by what emerges. Uh, what do I want people to take from it? Yes. Or what? what- I want them to get some sense of me. I want them to get some sense of my view of the world. I also want them to appreciate my, my use of line and language and rhythm. I don't want it to be didactic. I want them to appreciate the craft that goes into presenting that material. So all of those things are what I want people to take away.
0: Read another poem for us, please.
1: Okay. Sometimes I write about the lives of others. And this is a poem called Diva. It is written after Maria Callas, the opera singer. And although they're not mentioned by name in the poem, Mm -hmm. The poem references both Jackie Kennedy and Aristotle Onassis. There was a triangle going among the three of them.
0: Yes, I remember.
1: Yes, so this is Diva. If you're forced to sing as a child and you hate it, you'll replace devotion to singing with love. If the man you love pushes you to retire from the world to serve only him, your talent just opens a hole in the earth for you to fall through. And if you're the chubby, ugly duckling as a child, in your mind you'll always be the chubby, ugly duckling, even after you bring in piles of money, a public waiting online for days to hear you. Even when you lose so much weight, you stress your voice. You'll be the difficult one, the one who is gossiped about when the man you love isn't the man you married. If the man you love leaves you to woo the most famous woman in the world because she represents America more refined, even thinner than you, you'll hole up in your apartment until he begs you to take him back, threatening to crash his Mercedes into your building if you won't. But if you've abdicated your power, agreeing to be the lesser wife, you don't have the only thing a man obsessed with power wants. It doesn't matter that you feel like a woman. He will disappear for weeks, forget to phone, call you a cunt with a whistle in her throat. Still, you'll sneak in through the service entrance to see him one last time when he's dying. His canary, you'll call yourself, your voice cracking on the high sea. Thank you.
0: I could actually see the three of them. Mm Mm-hmm. That was... Good. (laughs) I could (laughs) see them. Jackie, Maria,
1: Aristotle,
0: (laughs) I could see them.
1: (laughs) It was terrible for her. It was really terrible, and she thought... He was going to marry her And
0: then
2: He
1: surprised her Mm
2: By
1: marrying Jackie Kennedy instead
0: Right You know writers and poets write For a myriad of reasons Some write primarily to speak a message To the audience Others write because to stay silent is not an option Why do you write?
1: I write because It makes me feel alive I don't uh, yeah I don't have the option of staying silent it's 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 interesting i I was in a a very bad first marriage I'm in a much nicer one now, but I was in a very bad okay. first one and and it was i i i it was as if I had lost my voice The person I was married to was very controlling it was everything that was said had to be put out in advance, and if spoke, speaking carelessly could lead to um, huge altercations, and so I was very shy in my twenties as well and, and timid, and it it took it took a lot of work and it took an explosion of words to get everything out to the point where I, I don't feel that way anymore. And I do feel I have a voice, but having that voice is important to me. No matter what I decide to do with it, I appreciate having it. I uh, I, I, I think this is a good time to read an, another poem about a person yeah. who also had a problem with voice. In, in, and that's, and, and this may surprise you when I say it's Marilyn Monroe, but Marilyn Monroe was actually brighter and much more interested in books than she's generally given credit for. But that part of her was negated in her life, uh, sadly. And this poem is called The Unpublished Poems of Marilyn Monroe. She actually did write poems. They were published after her death. Uh. The unpublished poems of Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn in a striped swimsuit reading Ulysses. Photographed by Eve Arnold, 1955. She wanted blondes to be thought sexy and astute. She wanted herself to be thought astute. Blonde, pejorative, 19th century, as in Dizzy Blonde, as in A Blonde Moment, as in Risqué British Burlesque Performer, as in French Courtesan, Rosalie Dufay. Marilyn left fragments of handwritten texts, crossed out words, inserted phrases, her memories, dreams, fears, enjambed. The public knew only the lines of her Cupid's bow. But no silly woman would stand by Arthur Miller as he refused to name communists. Marilyn, surrounded by four hundred and thirty books with penciled notes, writes to herself Ah life, they have cheated you. Thank you. You know, it, it was true at the time she died there were four hundred and thirty books in her apartment. Four
0: hundred and thirty books. Mm-hmm. And,
1: with, and many of them annotated, so she had clearly read them.
0: Wow. She's an incredible woman.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. but, but, in but more ways than mis- one. Mis- mischarac- mischaracterized.
0: Yes, I agree, 100%. Mm-hmm. You know, some poets are also active in other creative areas. What are some of your favorite non-poetry or literature activities? Non-poetry or literature activities?
1: I I take a lot of photographs. I've had photographs published as well, but I've been remiss about sending things out because it takes a lot of time and I just haven't had the time. So having to choose between poetry and photography, I chose poetry. But I have done that in the past and if I had more time, I would do it in the future. And I also very much like to travel. It's kind of frustrating not to be able to do that now travel there are travel themes threaded through my poems there's uh, a number of poems in this collection that are set in other countries I don't know if there's time to read one is there time yes. to
0: read one yes there, okay. there is time I was going to ask you okay read another
1: Okay, so this is called the bar where Gabo used to drink. Gabo is the nickname of the writer Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who I'm a big fan of. And when I was in Colombia, in Cartagena, I wanted to go to the bar that he used to hang out in because I thought, oh, you know, some of the molecules will still be there. I can absorb them. It's like having a part of him. In in me, so but of course in the meantime, uh, the bar had been renovated and gentrified and wasn't quite the same anymore. And that's what the poem is about. So this is the bar where Gable used to drink. The skeleton girl with seventy-two feet of copper hair is gone from El Coro. It's downstairs crypt. Cigar-smoking nuns are gone. El Nobel is gone. No plaque marks his name in the old convent hospital, now a sofitel, enclosing liquor seats in rows of aguardiente and rum, a jealous mistress, this city. Gabo's ghost has stolen a cocktail, gathered his ashes from under the bronze bust in the cloister de la Merced, and put on his loco. Crazy rags. The writer's ghost floats to the market to talk with drunkards, pickpockets, butchers who stand amid cow hearts and eyeballs, prized the thick soup, climbs rampart stairs to stroll the tops of old walls along traffic and sea. He yearns for Mexico City. This amethyst afternoon Nothing better to do as it wanes Than sneak peeks at the setting sun That will leave over and over A hot giant orange Glittery as a street whore Walking late Mm. So I said I don't use heart very much But there is heart in this poem Yes,
0: yes, yes (laughs) You know, unfortunately, we've come to the end of the it's program.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we've come it's to the end pleasure. of the program. Well, it's been a
0: <laughs> One last thing, though. Mm-hmm. When people hear your work, I'm sure they usually want more. What's next for you as a poet?
1: I've been working on poems about the 60s, which are really the 70s, of course, and also poems about the music of that period, and threaded through those poems are poems about Charles Manson. And I, I also have been working on poems, more poems, about girlhood. And I used to think those were two separate tracks, but recently uh-huh. I realized they're not. They're both... In both of those areas, I'm exploring loss of innocence. And so I think ultimately they will; those themes will all come together in some way for me.
0: Wow. Thank you so much, Susanna. You made You're very my night. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This has you. been an incredible hour. <laughs> well, everyone, the book is Dead Shark on the End Train. Go out, buy it, Amazon, other places. Susanna H. Case is an incredible author, incredible poet, and I'm so glad that she spent some time with us tonight. So good night, everyone, and have a blessed week. Thank you so much. All Thank right, good you night, night, Susanna. Good night. You have just listened to the Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio Podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.